This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The PC party, and of course, as we're talking about uh, today and asking you the question on social media, uh, what's going to happen with this disheveled party? Christine Elliott now posted online. She's in for the leadership race. Uh, rumor has it Caroline Mulroney is uh, close behind. Let's bring in Alan Carter, anchor and Queen's Park Bureau chief. He is with us now, of course, for Global News. Alan, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this today. I always appreciate being asked to be on. You know, I, I love the love. <laughs> and we love you love the love. <laughs> Hey, speaking of love, how much of that is down at the ledge right now? Are things settling down for the PC party? Oh, you know what? I, it's just so ridiculous. We have these editorial meetings each and every morning. And I think every day this week I may have started out our meetings with, I don't think anything's going to happen today. And, <laughs> and I'm proven absolutely wrong within a couple of hours. Well, you know what? The interesting thing here is, Alan, is normally we're doing, you know, having the same meetings. But, you know, for us, we're talking about what's Trump done or what's gone on south of the border. This time, it's, it's you know, last week or so, it's been north of the border for us. Well, this is it. And it continues to develop. We're hearing that there could be some more stuff coming out of Ottawa shortly. I mean, I don't have anything solid on that. But, you know, the developments just continue fast and furious. And they're going to continue today. I'm being told by all the camps that they're not planning anything right now. The Elliott people are sort of trying to figure out what their comms procedure is going to be after, first of all, the National Post outed her as being in about, you know, 90 minutes before she just tweeted, I'm in. And that's Hmm. the extent of the really official communication other than some radio interviews that she did this morning. She's planning some more this afternoon. This is Christine Elliott I'm talking about. Meanwhile, I can tell you, I can confirm that uh, Carolyn Mulrooney, through a spokesperson close to their campaign, is in. It's not a question of if. She says she's in. They're talking maybe Monday is the day to declare. They still haven't nailed that down. And also the people surrounding Rod Phillips also say he's in and that it doesn't make any difference that Miss Elliott has joined the race. Uh, obviously, this is a shortened and heightened race as a result of the timeline. Uh, but that being said, it seems that Doug Ford's already got a couple of days head start and he's been making the most of that. Uh, is that making anyone else uh, rush to the decision a little quicker just to get going? Because there isn't a lot of time to be dragging the feet here. No. When I, according to the rules, you have until February 16th to actually declare. So we do have a little bit of runway for people to actually get in or not get in. Um, but you're right. It is a very, very compacted time frame. And so the key now, and even I'm talking to the Elliott people who say, look, she can't spend any time talking to you media people. She's got to be on the phone to the membership. And she's got to be, because that's the key here, is you've got to be able to figure out, A, who is actually a legitimate party member. And that is, there's a different storyline going on there, which is important, too. Um, and not only do you have to do that, you've got to get caucus support. You've got to get money, because it's $125,000 to get in this thing. You talked about the membership. What's going on with that? Where's the story there? Well, so what happened, it, it, it seems like a year ago now, but on Monday, Vic Fideli, remember, stepped aside and said he's got to look into the issues. There's all kinds of problems, and he's going to root out the rot, which was an incredible statement by a, a, a leader, even an interim leader, 
about their own party just this many months before an election. And there's been all kinds of rumors swirling around since then. Nothing substantiated actually officially from the party that the 200,000 memberships that Mr. Brown was uh, touting just a week ago, that the number is closer to somewhere in the 76 to 80,000 number, and that there are a vast number that are just not actually legitimate. Now, take that also now with uh, a statement from the Barry MP, Alex Nuttall, yesterday, who claimed that, you know, eliminating people's memberships was being racially motivated. Yeah. Like, I, to talk about throwing a gas can on a fire. And then, on top of this, and this was mostly overlooked yesterday, but I spotted it. Randy Hillier, who you know, is a maverick in the party and is outspoken, yesterday on Twitter claimed when it was you know, said to him, hey, Christine Elliott has lost this thing twice in terms of the leadership race. He said, no, no, she lost once, and once she was beaten by fraudulent memberships and mm. dirty tricks, which is essentially saying the leader of the party up until last week was not legitimate that he won it by fraud. Wow. Wow. Uh, how is Wynn processing this? What is the opposition doing about this? Is there like a jig that they're dancing, maybe? Is there... uh, they're doing that quietly, though, aren't they? Well, you know, the the old, you know, truism in politics is if your opponent sets themselves on fire, just stand back and enjoy the warmth. Because <laughs> you don't want to do anything to get in the way of what's happening. Right? Oh, let my. It, let it now, keep in mind that the liberals have their annual general meeting in um, Toronto this weekend. It's a big weekend for the liberals. They're all together. It's a big rah, rah, rah. And so there's going to be news coming out of that from what Wynn has to say. And keep your eye on that this weekend. But what's strange about it is that, you know, in normal circumstances, we'd be talking to the PCs about, like, which caucus member are you going to send down there to, you know, say that this is horrible and that Wynn is terrible. And right now, the party's like, I don't think we're going to send anybody. We're Mm -hmm. just... We have too much on our own plate to be able to be criticizing. Well, and, you know, when you look at the opposition and everybody's talking about, the, of course, the, the, the big job, the big chore ahead of the PC party, but uh, in regard to a new leader. But this also changes uh, how the opposition approach this as well, because now their target has changed as well. Well, this is it. I mean, all bets are now off. I yeah. mean, you know, any punditry that you read before last week is now done i think but here's the thing that i'm beginning to sense it, when you think about what does this mean overall for the election if we if we ask that question i think that in some ways this has been damaging to the liberals and here's why is that the the narrative is oh my god five months before an election the party has blown up and people are looking for a change and women and the liberals are unpopular. And I think it's almost solidified that feeling amongst the electorate. Like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I don't really like her. And if I'm given an option that I can, that is palatable, I'll take it. And I, I think that that has on some higher level done some damage to the liberals. Uh, it's also interesting, too, that, uh, you know, polls released since the Patrick Brown uh, fiasco have, have, showed, uh, have showed the PCs holding their own. So it, it's almost as if people don't care who's driving the bus. Let's just get on with this. Well, and, and here's the thing that's going to happen going forward, though, is that now, like, think about the People's Guarantee. And I'm just noticing now that the People's Guarantee, the uh, Brown-led platform, uh, the PCs have now scrubbed Brown's face and all mentions mm. of him from it. But 
already you have Doug Ford saying, I don't like this carbon tax. It's right. a nasty tax. And even Christine Elliott has come out now and said she's not in favor of it. Well, that's all well and good, folks, 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 folks. But if you take out that carbon tax, then you remove basically one of the legs of the stool that the whole thing rests on. Right. So things like you know, tax cuts, all the money and all the goodies, all the centrist goodies in there are all paid for mostly by this carbon tax. So you don't have a carbon tax. You don't even have a platform. At the end of the day, how many do you think we're going to end up in this race? I don't see more than four. In fact, it, it certainly seems that we're weeding out the bottom half right away just to get to the point. You get that feeling? Well, I, you know, there's nobody in caucus that's going to run now. Um, you know, Todd Smith said he was kicking the can yesterday, but once Elliot's in, then you know, nobody in the caucus has the pull. I don't see anybody else getting in. Pretty much everybody else that's been sort of musing over the last, you know, 48, 72 hours has said no. You know, there could still yet be, I think, an outside, um, you know, sort of campaign or somebody declare or say that they're going to and then not actually pony up the cash. I could see that on, on especially on the right wing. Although Mr. Ford now has because Mr. Ford not only said that he, he doesn't like the carbon tax, but also that he would reopen the discussion about the sexual education curriculum, which is kind of wow. incredible. And wow. that's going to gain a lot of traction amongst all those people that supported Mr. Brown and put him in the leadership and only to have the, the carpet yarded out from underneath them. So it looks like, and again, as you mentioned, in, in, unless somebody pulls something out of a hat, this is Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, and Caroline Mulroney. Would that be fair? And, and, and do we want to? Is that a guarantee? I mean, do we do we do we see that coming for sure? Do you think? Just a matter of time. Well, I'm, his people are telling me he is. You know, I mean, yesterday when the Elliott news broke, you know, I reached out to them and they said this doesn't change. We're still in. Um, and they've also said they, under no circumstances, would go to Mulroney. Now, whether whether he now thinks he should go to Elliot, the thing is, is that his people are saying to me, two women in the race actually helps him because then it's not, you know, and everybody's sort of discounting Ford, which is to their own peril. But two women in the race, it doesn't become necessarily a decision based on must it be a woman. Maybe that phrase that a little right. Uh, you talked about Doug Ford. Uh, I heard him on 640, and man, he just kept hammering the same simple message over and over and over again. You know, they're killing the taxpayer. Nobody's defending the taxpayer. The taxpayer, the taxpayer, the middle class. Uh, is this going to resonate? Well, keep in mind you've got two hurdles here. So when you ask the question, can Doug Ford and... For, for further reading, I, I truly recommend going to globalnews.ca and checking out my blog uh, called Can Doug Ford Win? Mm. Uh, as I promote myself and sell a little soap here. Uh, it, it, and I add, basically, those are two questions. Can he win the leadership? Can he win the general election? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I say yes to both. Uh, but the first one is a much, much bigger yeah. challenge. But, you know, even saying that, the first one's a, a bigger challenge, meaning the second one would be easier. Doesn't that send a message to the party right there? I mean, until they can get somebody who resonates the way this guy does, I mean, it's an uphill battle. I mean, all that he needs to do is put forward a lighter version, a, a gentler, kinder Canadian version of Trump. 
And yeah, have uh, you met Doug Ford? No, I haven't. I don't think kinder, gentler is part of his <laughs> makeup. <laughs> so, do you think he is going to divide the party more than he will unite it? Because again, he was talking about how he's going to unite it. That's the part that I—it's the division and the baggage that that I think most people are going to have a hard time with. I don't. I don't see him being a unifying force in no. any way. In yeah. fact, he's he's you know clearly made a pitch to the right of the party, the social conservatives. He's made an overt pitch to them. I'm not a hundred percent percent sure that Mr. Ford's going to be on the ballot when we come to the voting day on March 10th. Hmm. But I I think that perhaps is because I've seen him bow out of things that he'd say he was going to do before. Right. Uh, so obviously Christine Elliott we know of, Rod Phillips, uh, those in the weeds know certainly who he is. What about Caroline Mulroney? Is this, is this just a Hail Mary? I don't know. I, I don't think anybody could accurately say that they know much about Ms. Mulroney. I mean, she has had extremely limited public visibility, a couple of interviews, um, you know, she did. She received a lot of plaudits for her work on the federal conservative leadership race and and the work she did there. She's got name recognition, but nobody really knows much about her other than I can tell you there are heavy hitters and big money lining up behind her, um, and that is substantial. So I think that she is the one to watch here. She's her people have been smart about. You know, keeping her away from there's a reason you have never seen Carolyn Mulroney speak or know what she stands for or anything. There's a reason for that. And they were going to try and keep that under wraps for as long as they can uh, and then try and ride that newness Mm. and that freshness uh, into the leadership and then into the premier's office. Boy, oh boy, this is going to be a fascinating uh, 90 or so days. I-, I can't let you go, Alan, without asking you. We, were, we-, we alluded to this earlier, uh, talking about whether it- it's, of course, uh, the legislature or, or parliament. Uh, lots of whispers, lots of chatter, lots of people being held accountable. Is it a different place now? Queen's Park? Yes. I don't... I think... There is a bit of a shell shock in around the park. Things, careers, um, you know, have gone up in flames in front of our eyes, and you know, in a, an unprecedented way. I don't think there's never been any week or two weeks like this in Ontario politics. I, I don't know if there's ever been anything like it in Canadian politics ever. And so it has that sense of what possibly is next and everyone's sort of walking very carefully and i'll tell you what reporters don't leave their desk i i I made the mistake yesterday of going out for to pick up lunch not go out for lunch i went out the building to get lunch and that's when the christine elliott Mm. news broke and i thought to myself i am never going to eat again (laughs) alan carter has been with us of course global (laughs) news anchor and queens park bureau chief make sure you're watching global news tonight for the rest of this story alan thanks for the time and insight as always much appreciated uh great to be on thanks so much you're listening to the scott thompson show weekdays from noon to three on am 900 chml Man, oh man, just when you thought you've heard everything you could from this person, uh, the name rears its ugly head again. A fundraiser posted onto Facebook to help raise funds uh, for the defense of Dylan Millard. 
In the upcoming trial, he's charged with the murder of his father. People responded with a petition to have it removed. Uh, let's bring in Alex Pearson, host of On Point with Alex Pearson, Global News Radio. Of course, you might remember she covered uh, the trial extensively for us, the Tim Bosma murder trial. Alex is with us now. Alex, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Anything for you, Scott. Oh, you're so kind on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, well, can I just tell you, up until about one thirty yesterday... I thought it was Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine the letdown. <laughs> well, you know, it's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? Uh, it's been a hell of a week. You yeah. know what? Let's, uh, gee, now I'm thinking, now, where do we want to talk about first? Okay, let's keep going with the Dellum Lard thing. Then yeah, we're going to come sure. back and we're going to yep. circle around to Ontario politics. Because, of course, you had, uh, you, you had the first interview with Doug Ford after he announced his uh, he was running for the leadership he of the did, PC yeah, party. Yeah. All right, we'll yeah, talk about did. that at the end. Um, cool. So what are your thoughts in regard to this? Uh, what's the steer- story with Dellum Lard? Uh, you know, at one time he hit a high price lawyer, then he's representing himself. Does this guy have the dough to do this? What's the story? Well, you know, as as you'll recall, after the first trial where he had very expensive uh, lawyers, he his estate was frozen. Um, the estate that had been left to him by Wayne Millard, his father, who is now deceased, and of course Wayne or Della Millard will stand trial for that. In in I think it's been moved to April third now. Um, he used the money from the estate to pay for those lawyers. And then in the second trial, he didn't have any money because the estate was frozen, and it is still frozen. So he has no money to pay for these lawyers. Albeit he is and has requested uh, Raven Pillay, who represented him in uh, the Hamilton trial, and so he's got to pay for that. And I'm not sure. I still need to to find out whether or not he has uh, retained him through legal aid. Um, and so, you know, obviously someone has put up this Facebook page and I always kind of, you know, you're going to get this kind of stuff, whether it is a friend of Della Millard's, which I'm not entirely sure. Um, it could be just someone who wants to glob on to the attention. You get a lot of people like that who just want to be part of it or who like to stick an eye in the face of people because it's fun to irritate them. Um, I don't know who put this page up, but I guarantee you it will not get more than $20. Uh, you, you talked about people doing this for fun that may not even be associated with Dellen Millard. How can that possibly be? But, you know, I, I remember knowing a reporter who co- covered the Paul Bernardo trial, yep. and there were some, she called them groupies, Paul Bernardo groupies. groupies that are just, yeah. you know, loving this guy. The Menendez brothers in the United States, they got yeah. married. They be, there, there are those in society who um, I guess are such losers in life that that's what they want. They glob on or they create relationships with these people um, and find uh, something in them that that no one else can possibly see. But I'm sure there are plenty of of women out there who think Della Millard is, is just fantastic for whatever reason. But there are people, believe it or not, who actually probably would support him. I thought they would let you tap into your own money, though, for your defense. Or is this a case because it originally was his father's estate and that's what this whole case is about? People are are debating whether it's even his money or not? Well, I mean, look, his father passed away. It was originally uh, you know, called and deemed a suicide by shotgun, um, by gunshot, sorry. And, and then, of course, you get the first trial with, with Tim Bosma, and upon that conviction... It was taken into a court, and basically a judge said, no, 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 you can't, if you're under questioning, or if you're accused of now killing your father, and now you've been convicted on this, we can't let you continue to draw from that estate, because if, in fact, Ellen Millard did kill his father, that's the only reason he's got money, access to it. Yeah. So it was frozen for very good reason. 
Uh, how do you think? So do you, do you think it's you think it's possible that Dylan Millard had nothing to do with this post, this Facebook page? I have no idea. I mean, he is a, a fairly manipulative guy. Yeah. But I mean, he who knows who he cries and whines to? I'm sure he still has a, a small knit group. I mean, these people don't forget the surrounders of Dylan Millard. Um, who were just a colossal bunch of losers, extraordinarily irresponsible, extraordinarily senseless, and who should hang their heads in shame. He had a lot of enablers and a lot of people who were all too happy to do his dirty work. So I'm sure there are still people who think that he is quite uh, uh, something and probably still idolize him. And who knows? He, he is, you remember, Scott, Della Millard truly in his mind thinks that he is innocent, that he got embroiled in this because... He was the fixer, that he had to help out Smith or that he had to help out these hmm. people because, you know, he just got dragged into this. I don't know if he's been able to manipulate any of these friends to say, hey, look, I'm going to get off of these charges and these convictions on, on, on appeal. And when I do, those who stuck, you know, stood with me will, will reap the rewards. So I don't know if he's had any influence on it, but these people will buy into that because to get back on that free ride would probably sound pretty appealing. Do you think, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a psychopath or not, but time will tell in how many of these convictions go down, but uh, many do this to get attention outside of the cell. Do you think that's what yep. this is about? Uh, for who, Dellen? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know what drives him anymore, other than the fact that he does feel sorry for himself, and, and he is no question a psychopath, and he's no question um, a a. Uh, a narcissist so you know i don't know if he got this from the outside but you know maybe his mother set it up remember we've never even seen her yeah like where is she she's never been seen from some from since i don't know how this got started but i guarantee you obviously there's a public backlash um there's nothing illegal about doing this you can do this it'll be interesting to see if facebook actually takes it down but interesting to see if it actually raises any money It'll be even more interesting to see if it will raise money because it'll speak volumes about anybody who donates. Hmm. But again, Uh, we're talking about it. We dredge it up. And families like the Bosmers and the Babcocks have to hear it. And you know what? He doesn't care because it's not about them. This is always and always will ever be for Dellen Millard about Dellen Millard. I mean, if I know Dellen Millard or from what I've been able to gain access into into his mind, He's probably jealous of the guy that just got uh, arrested, Bruce MacArthur, because he's somehow going to outshine him. Who knows? Yeah, these these yeah. people are crazy. You yeah. know? Good point. All right, let's leave this. Uh, so tell us about your uh, interview with Doug Ford. I've never met the man. Uh, we are supposed to have him on next week or so as he does a tour yeah. through the area. Um, what, what can you tell us about him? Well, it's interesting because, you know, Doug is not a disciplined guy. So he tends to shoot from the hip. Mm. And... Uh, so when I sat down with him, you know, I know the platform inside out, and I, I understand the issues and the strategies because, of course, before I got back into radio, I was working on the campaign. So I, I very much know what they're looking for. And Doug Ford, make no mistake, is a big problem for the insiders of this party because they want to elect who they want to elect. But outside of Toronto, the center of the universe, there is a whole swath of people that feel very forgotten in this province and like they've never had a voice. I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. That's who Doug Ford will appeal to because he's not beholden to anybody. He doesn't answer to anybody. He'll raise all his own money and he speaks 
the language of everyday people, you know, while all the rest of these candidates are the ones who went to Harvard or they or they eat their gray poupon and their caviar. He's the guy that swigs milk from the carton in the fridge like the rest of us. Like he's <laughs> relatable. And, and the thing is, I think for him where he's going to have trouble, the carbon tax is a big problem yeah, for the base. Yeah. It is hate. I hate the carbon tax. That is just such a cash grab. He says he will cancel that, and he's now on record. About an hour after our, our interview, which streamed live, the executive team that was making all the rules for the uh, the leadership run oddly came out with a rule that whomever runs on this platform has to run with the platform in place and the mm. carbon tax. Mm. So it's interesting because it lodges him into a corner of going, mm. well, are you going to run on this or not? But that also gi- that also gives him an out, Alex, because he can say, "Hey, man, not my decision; it's theirs." And I decided to do it just to get in and save you taxpayers' money. No, look, there, there's a you can argue this any which way. He will represent a huge, huge uh, uh, point of this base, this grassroots, and and they will like hearing the language that he speaks. But there are other candidates coming in, as you know. Carolyn Mulroney will jump in next week, and I'm actually going to speak about her quite a bit on my show tonight because I actually worked with Carolyn and got to know her, and I can kind of what's she like? Real... She's actually, uh, you know, lovely. I-, I mean, the biggest problem I have with Carolyn Mulroney is that she's not a politician. Mm. I mean, which will appeal to a lot of people. She is lovely. She's accomplished. She's a mom of four kids. She was. Um, so, what do you mean she's not a politician? What do you mean she's not she's a politician? Nice. She's not tough enough. She's too nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's not her father. She is her mother, Mila. Yeah. Um, Mila was very soft and. But we quiet. liked Mila. We liked we Mila. Did. Well, then, then there you go. She will appeal to a whole swath of people <laughs> who will say, "You know what? <laughs> I am actually willing to take my chances." But don't, don't forget. She's very accomplished. Unlike yeah. Justin Trudeau, who kind of rode in on snowboarding and, and assistant teaching and acting. Yeah. This is a woman who is Harvard educated. This is a woman who is a lawyer. She ran an investment firm. She does a ton of charity work. And my, my What the hell my, happened? To, what, what the hell happened to Ben? Well, Ben, ben well, he's a nice guy, too. He, he didn't I want know. to go into politics. And, and the younger brother actually is the real politician. But what's interesting, I think, with Carolyn is that throughout the time that I got to know her, she never, ever treated herself like she was better than anybody. She would go to all the, the, the meetings. She participated with all the other candidates. She never gave this air of, like, who am I? You know who I am. She's not like that. And, and that goes against, I think, everything what people are saying is that she's an elite. She may very well be, but she's an extraordinarily lovely, lovely person. And I really, really quite liked it. I, no matter what, she, even if she doesn't win this leadership, it will not be because she's not qualified. It will be because she's not dirty and in the trenches slinging mud. She may need a couple more years to get kind of a feet wet, but she will lead this country one day. Mark my words. So, uh, you know, to quote an old uh, uh, conservative thing, she's not ready yet. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's tough to say because... She's smart enough to do it. It's just whether or not um, she can cut through the bureaucracy. I mean, politics is a very ugly... I mean, if you can't see what happened to Patrick Brown, put your feelings aside on on whether he was you know, wrong yeah. or right. He could not survive that. Yeah. But to see how ugly and ruthless politics can be, you look at that moment where he was walking down the hall alone, completely yeah. dumped by everybody, yeah. his inner team that thought he was groovy six hours earlier. I mean, it is a relentless blood sport. And if you don't have that thick skin quite yet, I think it can be extremely... 
extraordinary, not just a leadership battle. Don't forget, she has to go through leadership. And then if she wins, it would be an election. But I do think she could take win. She's mm. just, she's just can a Doug Ford, can, can Doug Ford beat win? They all can. That's yeah. the good yeah. news. Yeah, it's, yeah. People worried about, oh, my God, it, we've lost. The good news is polling numbers coming out. <laughs> it goes to show you just how much hate there is for the Liberal Party right now and the fact that people are desperate for change. This scandal has not changed the numbers. Mm. The PC party has still retained a healthy lead, and that means that people were invested in the party and not the leader. But it also goes to show you that if they can get the leader in now and start doing uh, things properly, they have a very they will win. It's not even a question of that. People want change. They just want a good alternative. And the names we're hearing, whether it's Christine Elliott, Doug Ford, uh, Carolyn Mulroney, there's also a couple of others. There's Rod Phillips, who's a, a very capable guy, very, very experienced on Bay Street, very experienced in political circles, uh, board of the National Post. And then, of course, there's Aaron O'Toole, who's kind of dangling this. He also is a very likable guy coming in from possibly the federal side. I really like O2. I could actually get behind any one of these people. Mm. Uh, you were, as you mentioned, uh, there was a period of time before all this happened that you yeah. worked for the Patrick Brown campaign. Uh, yeah. give, give us your, your thoughts on what all went down. And, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously you weren't there when it happened. You had gone before all of this transpired. No, I had to cover it. <laughs> About, like, <laughs> you got it from a different crap. angle. Yeah, really. Like, this is the, the most painful moment. Yeah, I did. I had a... a, a so I what was that experience? What's that experience like? What, 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 like do you, what do you think of this whole thing after the fact? Well, it's interesting because I went to work on the campaign because, I mean, our, the broadcast industry, there was just nothing left. Like, there's yeah. no work. So I was... I thought I was done in yeah. broadcast. Uh, so I jumped into what you do, which is go to where your strengths play. And I thought I could offer them a lot in, 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 in as much as the advisory, how to deal mm. with the media and that kind of thing. So I can tell you, Scott, it doesn't work like what the media says. Uh, so I got a really, really good understanding behind the scenes of how strategy is built, how issues are managed, how messaging works. And uh, it's a real, real uh, big, heavy um, organized and very controlled machine. And so it gave me the perspective of how things might be working behind the scenes. So it was an amazing learning experience. And I, most of my work was done with the candidates uh, now in place. So media training, because you've got to remember, people don't understand what they're really getting into in politics, because you've got to be able to deal with the media, you've got to be able to deal with your counterparts. And for some people, it's just very daunting. But I did work well, with Carolyn, um, she was a star candidate, is a star candidate, and, and I got to work with her closely. Uh, so I got a good perspective of what she's like. And I also got a good perspective of how, how Patrick Brown worked. And for what people didn't like about him, I kind of got a different side. Um, he was not a star. He was not even uh, the fun guy in the room, but he worked round the clock, like mm. relentlessly. Have you, and, heard from, um, have you heard from him at all in any of this? I have spoken with him. I will not talk about uh, the conversations. I mean, it would be, I, I yeah. think it would be extraordinarily disingenuous and, mm-hmm. and not even humane for me not to reach out and say, hey, yeah. thinking of you. I've been extremely critical in the last week. I'm, I've made no friends within that party, I think, in the last week because I've been pretty disgusted on all levels. Uh, from what I've seen, just from, you know, people coming out and talking about corruption and everyone throwing other, the, under the bus. There's no way Patrick could have survived that. Mm. No way. He had to go. I just think in this Me Too movement, we are in such dangerous territory in just destroying lives on one allegation or someone said something. I think, you, you know, we have to kind of step back and say, okay, you know, all women are to be heard, sure. 
but like you've got Jagmeet Singh going out there and saying they all have to be believed, even though there's no survivors. And I mean, we've reached, I think, the ludicrous, bizarre. Point. Yeah, that's a bizarre scenario in the NDP where we don't have a victim uh, or um, there's just somebody it, it, accused of something and he doesn't know who or what. Yeah, look, I'm talking to a lot of lawyers, and we've been covering this issue on my show. Lawyers and even judges now are are actually quite angry and frightened of the language that they are hearing from all levels of government who are kicking due process aside and coming out and really weaponizing these attacks. And I think it's important for well, people at the to end understand. of the day, at the end of the day, it's politicians that it's taking out because it's you know I well, mean, how, what's the feeling around either uh, Queens Park or, or well, Parliament look Hill? At Andrea Horvath. I mean, mm. whether you like Patrick Brown or not, he could not survive this. But for her to come out and put him in the same category as Gian Gameshi, um, he was not accused of anything remotely the same, no. and he was not charged with anything. So. And to say that the courts don't work for women, to undermine our our system the way politicians are, is dangerous. We have something in this country called due process. And, Scott, it is only, and certainly as a man, if you're accused of something, you are going to be begging for that due process to say, hey, I deserve my say, too. And we're, I think we're in a territory now where we are convicting and destroying people without even waiting for the facts to come in at such a rapid speed. It is frightening. And if lawmakers think that they can just go out and speak like this, politicians on every side, it's not a partisan issue. This is happening in every party. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. All right. Don't forget uh, Alex Pearson tonight, right after Radley. Uh, Any idea who's on the show tonight? What are you going to talk about? Want to give a little plug here? Yeah, I am actually going to portray the women of the party. I'll I'll talk a lot about Carolyn Mulroney. Um, We're going to talk, of course, about the Dellen thing. Um, we're going to talk also about what I'm trying to figure out. I'm just kind of putting my show together. Um, we're going to talk to doctors on the other side of this religious debate. There are, there was a ruling earlier this week where the Ontario Court of Appeals has ruled that doctors, religious doctors, and there's about 4,700 of them in this province, have to give referrals now to anyone who wants assisted suicide. On the surface, you say, yeah, okay, but doctors who are religious, didn't want this. Their job is to save lives in their mind. And now we're, they're being forced to work against their conscience. And that is problematic for a lot of them because now we are breaking charter or violating charter rights. Like you're telling me I can't practice my freedom of religion. So if they're going to speak out tonight and say why it goes against the grain, this will be launched to the Supreme Court of Canada. No question. Alex Pearson has been with us, host of On Point with Alex Pearson, heard on the Global News Radio Network right here after Radley on CHML. Alex, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great show tonight. You too, guys. See you. Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Many people would say Bitcoin's about the same as Monopoly money. About a month ago, we were talking to Marvin Ryder about this, and uh, boy, all wishing that we had bought one way back when, because they were up around the $20,000 mark, uh, hitting massive highs. Now the cryptocurrency has lost half its value and continues to drop. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor at Root School of Business, McMaster University. He's with us now. Marvin, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. I believe that Monopoly edition was originally supposed to come out as the Donald Trump edition. <laughs> and now that he's president, you can't do that. So they've just called it the cheaters uh, uh, version. Right. Yeah, they've got them all printed. All they need to do is put a sticker over top yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that, that, and that was the problem. Because you can't, you can't use the president to promote a product. Uh, you know, you bring up a valid point here, though, uh, Marvin. Do you think that has changed? 
changed the landscape and something like this is more acceptable now? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, look, Donald Trump's rhetoric has a spin-off benefit, and there's a lot of people who love Donald Trump's rhetoric. It's time to put America first. Yeah, it's time we win and you lose. I want to hear about us winning more, and I want to hear more about you losing. And so that, that does spin off. Uh, here's a different side of this. The United States tourism is way down. It's dropped something like 25% over the last year because there's a lot of people in the rest of the world who say, I don't want to go there now. If this is all about winning and losing, mm-hmm. and you look at me as a loser, I, I'll go someplace where they don't see me that way. And you can imagine who's won in this. Well, Canada has won. Our tourism is up internationally. People want the advantage of North America without actually being in America, and so they come here. So these things do have a change. Presidents set tone. I'm a big believer at tone at the top, mm. and, and a change in president brings both good things and bad things. So do you think this game would have been introduced four years ago? You know, I would, I would suggest probably not. Uh, it just doesn't seem like that would have been the right time for it. Uh, and, it might, and it might not last very long either. You know, uh, you may or may not know that Netflix is running a, a series of six documentaries on a really corporate malfeasance. Uh, one of them is on Donald Trump, but there's another one on Volkswagen with its scandal. There's another one about the, the uh, maple syrup out of Quebec that was stolen and the black market for maple syrup. And these things also change people's attitudes. In the case of Volkswagen, the big story this week was not so much that it oh, cheated yeah. on the diesel emissions, but the all the testing on animals and possibly humans, Mm. how can they do that? So, you know, this world of corporate greed moves. Sometimes greed is good, and sometimes greed isn't. And when you think about it, Marvin, there's been so many editions of Monopoly, there's probably a boardroom somewhere filled with all, you know, 20 or so games that at any given time could be introduced, depending upon what the climate is. Exactly. Absolutely right. And so just to spin this over to Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin, a cryptocurrency, plays by a different set of rules than most currencies out there. And so in December, we saw Bitcoin hit a magic high of $20,000 per coin. It was only a month or two before that that it crossed $10,000 a coin. You could easily draw the chart and say, well, if it's gone from 10000 to 20000 in two months, my God, by the end of 2018, it's going to be worth $300,000 a coin. In the last week, four big things have happened that have shaken the foundation of Bitcoin. Let me try to go through them quickly for you. There's a Japanese cryptocurrency called NIM. Now, you've never heard of it. Uh, it's on a, an exchange called CoinCheck. But last weekend, CoinCheck was hacked, and $500 million worth of their cryptocurrency disappeared. This has been very embarrassing to the Chinese, to the Japanese people. In fact, the Japanese runner, uh, people who uh, manage this have come out and said they're going to repay everybody for the loss. But the point is, it's hacking. And our nice friends at Bitcoin say, oh, well, that's them. Our currency can't be hacked. That's like waving a red flag in front of a bull and say, on, hit me. I, 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 we worry about the hacking. And then two other things that have happened. Both the Indian government and the Korean government, South Korean government, have said that they're going to change some rules around cryptocurrencies. They're very worried these currencies are being used by the nefarious elements of their population, drug dealers, uh, you know, uh, um, the mafia type, what have you, as a way to move currency around. So they're going to more highly regulate cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency fans don't like that. They don't want regulations. And then the last thing that happened this week is that there have been some tremendous allegations that the rises in Bitcoin prices have been due to, shall we call it, insider trading or robotic trading that have artificially pumped them up. 
and there's been two fronts on this. There was a paper published by some academics uh, in Utah, of all places, and this goes back to a time when Bitcoin went from $150 to 1000 and they found that there were two computers, uh, I forget what they named them, Willie and Mac, who traded coins back and forth to artificially increase the prices and make money out of all this. Today, the other concern is a company called Tether, uh, we've never heard of this, you've never heard of this, I've never heard of it, but Tether also seems to be manipulating the trading and seems to be behind much of this price increase. Is it something real or is it something that's manipulating the market? So all of this has caused people to be highly spooked by all cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin. They're all down, and they're all down a substantial amount. Now hold on to your hat, Scott. In this cryptocurrency world, in just seven days, $115 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars of value has just disappeared. Uh, how can you even move towards the thought of this type of currency when there are so many issues concerning whether it's secure or not and, and can be manipulated? Right, exactly. I mean, I, I hear you exactly. That's why I don't own it, and I don't advise anyone else to own it. But many have said that this is the future. Where is this going? Well, can I, I'll, split, I'll just split the difference with you. So what people are saying is the future is digital currency, right. not necessarily cryptocurrency. And on that front, I understand. If I'm talking to people under the age of 35, they don't carry cash. They all have basically digital currency, whether it's on their phone or their smart cards or their debit cards, and they don't really ever use cash. And so people like the Bank of Canada has said, and they're studying this and saying, look, if more and more people are using digital currency, maybe that's something we need to move to. And as you know, there's a cost to print bills or mint coins, and that would save money if we don't need them. Maybe we should move that way. The key is that the digital currency, say, of Canada would be controlled by the Bank of Canada, and I feel confident in what that Bank of Canada stands for. Cryptocurrency does not belong to any one nation. It's a digital currency, but it's also just out there in the environment. Uh, we don't even know who's behind it. We never knew who created it. There's an artificial name in Wikipedia of the person, but that's not the real person. We think there's some sort of a committee of six people, and the periodically they issue some rules of operation, but we don't know what's going on. We can't trace it. We can't check it. And who do you hold accountable for these manipulations? So as a result, I don't like cryptocurrencies, but I do like digital currencies operated by central banks. So that says to me that, you know, because obviously you're comparing digital currency to cryptocurrency. Digital currency, uh, perhaps I shouldn't say is transparent, but certainly has way more than cryptocurrency. Uh, so it would appear that crypto is for gamblers, not anybody with any sort of credible financial uh, backing or experience. Well, so um, two, two answers to that. I wouldn't necessarily say gamblers. So there's one group of people who really do use Bitcoin and Ether and these other currencies. And yes, these are nefarious individuals. This is someone who's got to get some money from Colombia, and I want to buy a boat, but I don't want people to track the bills and see. So I turned it into Bitcoin, sent it anonymously across the ocean using all these distributed servers on the cloud and all those good words and suddenly I can buy it on the other side, uh, those people are, can make their assets liquid now and governments can't trace them. Do we really want a currency that does that? Now, there's another Ex group of people. Exactly. That, that's my whole right. point. Like, Is there anybody using this other than hmm, criminals or nefarious people or those that are just trying to gamble and, and get in on it? Yeah, so that, I mean, in fairness, that was Bitcoin. Now, this one that had the problem in Japan, oddly enough, the one in Japan is used by people. It's actually seen as mainstream, and their, their coin, it's called a NIM, is actually valued at roughly a buck. 
and this week it went down, it lost value, it fell to 75 cents, but, you know, it's a buck. And so people can understand it's really a substitute for the yen. And, and again, if you know anything about the Japanese currency, I've been wondering why they haven't renamed it, because you need so many yen to equal a dollar, something like a thousand yen to buy a dollar. Why not just re redo the currency? But there are some people who use them on a day-to-day -day basis, but the Bitcoin specifically has been for the nefarious side, or, as you say, gamblers, investors. Let's use another word here, investors, people who try to time it. I'm going to get in at the bottom, hold on at the top, sell. And, and they don't really actually want to use the currency for anything other than speculative ventures. That's fine if you've got lots of money and you want to play around. I'm not interested in it. So is that what Bitcoin will be known as? Okay, it's a currency that you really can't bet on because obviously it's, it's so volatile. And for the most part, people who are credible financiers don't use this. Uh, it's for people who are trying to transport large sums of money that really don't want to be traced. So is that the profile of Bitcoin? And if so, who wants in? Mm -hmm. So you've raised a really good point. If this was controlled by somebody, uh, they could step forward and either say, yes, that's what I want it to be, or no, I want to change it, and here are the new rules that mm. I'm going to come out with to you know, revise and refresh the image of the currency and move forward. So I have been waiting for a response from the anonymous people behind Bitcoin to see, are they happy with what's happening, or do they want to uh, bring this into a more regulated world? And to date, they've been fairly silent on this. This, this in a way, is, again, speaking of Donald Trump earlier, this, this is very much in Donald Trump's mode of a free market economy. Let's just let the market decide where it goes, and some days you've got winners and some days you've got losers. Um, I, don't, I don't like it, and, and therefore I would like to see Bitcoin marginalized and, and maybe removed without getting rid of digital currency from central banks, where I do understand what the rules are, and I do understand what they're trying to accomplish with their fiscal policy. This, to me, just seems far too speculative for anybody and unfortunately, there are people who've gotten burned because they really believed that, look, if it went from 10000 to 20000 in two months, I'm going to get in because in two more months it'll be 50000 and now it's $7,000. And why would people get into Bitcoin, other than the reasons you're suggesting, if they are offered digital currency through a traditional bank? I mean, it just seems to me that the future for Bitcoin seems pretty hazy. Mm -hmm. And I, I would agree with you. Now, also worth noting... Other cryptocurrencies could be developed rather than from a central banking authority, but from a company. And we've long thought that an Apple or a Google could come out with their own currency, if you'll call it the Bank of Google or the Bank of Apple. And now what you're betting on is the solidity of that company behind it, much like you bet on the solidity of the government of Canada or the solidity of the, of the government of the United States. So those kinds of things. My problem with Bitcoin is we don't have anybody. We can't point to anybody to say this represents them. They're the ones standing behind it. This is their certainty. So for me, it still remains this a, a curious anomaly, fun to watch, fun to talk about, again, like the game Monopoly, fun to talk about, fun to play, but I'm not going to put my money into it. So uh, we talked earlier when, when, we've, when we've talked about Bitcoin, how uh, the structure in which, it, in which it's used, the infrastructure involved, and that traditional banks were looking at this. So if Bitcoin doesn't succeed, what is it that other business takes out of this? How does it change uh, the finance business moving forward? Mm -hmm. So let me break that into two chunks. I, it's not clear to me that Bitcoin is actually going to fail. What you're seeing right now it, while it's a major correction, it's lost more than half its value, uh, on five previous occasions since Bitcoin debuted, it lost 80% of its value and still continued on. And that those people who, 
admire the free market aspect of this, say, well, you win some, you lose some, and you live to fight another day. So I'm not sure Bitcoin is going to die. Now, the financial markets, what they were thinking about is, look, there's so many people who now want to trade in Bitcoin, maybe we could create a uh, sort of a legitimate way you could bid on these things. In other words, I don't want to get too technical on the financing of this, but there you we call options where you can bet whether you think something's going to go up or go down. If you get it right, you can make some money. If you get it wrong, you lose some money. Maybe the stock market should start having these indexes based on Bitcoins. You know, I think that popularity has cooled, and I don't think the financial market will jump there. I think they're going to wait more for the digital currency market. But remember, you know, while this is bad news for the moment for Bitcoin, and it's really had a horrible week and probably will have a, a horrible month for February, trust me, we'll talk again sometime this year, and suddenly Bitcoin will be on a roll, and it will have gone from 7000 to 10000 Marvin, we should have jumped on that bandwagon. It's just a fun thing to watch. But I just I can't time it. I don't understand why it goes up or goes down. I'm just going to stay away from it. Would this be a good time to buy at ten grand? So uh, I, because they always say buy low, sell buy high. Buy low, sell high. Yeah. So, but they also say wait for the bottom. Um, <laughs> we know at some point today it actually fell below seven thousand dollars a coin. It's rallied a bit since. I think right now it's trading around seventy five hundred, eight thousand dollars U.S. Um, I'm not convinced because if this investigation into Tether proves that there has been some manipulation going on, I suspect that's going to cause another run on this currency and see another fall. Um, but, you know, look, a year ago at this time, a Bitcoin was worth $1,000. Today it's worth 8 hmm. Not as good as 20 but it's still a heck of a return. And I think this is why some people get into the market. I don't want to, again, talk about sort of seniors, but look, if you're a person on a seniors and you've got your money invested in a bank, you're getting a 1% return on your money, 2% return. How do you live on that? You want 5 10%. Somebody comes along and says, take a portion of your wealth, put it in this. Look, it doubled in value in three months. That's a 100% return in three months. A little of that could nicely supplement the guaranteed stuff on the other side. That's why, and here's another story from this week, that Omer, the Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System is spending $50 million to buy one of these cryptocurrency platforms hmm. called Ethereum. And, and so they're getting into this market. Now, I was asked, is this a wise move for a pension fund? Well, the pension fund has $77 billion in it. To take $50 million, that's less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of the value. They're not betting the farm, but if by some reason that $50 million became a billion, they're going to look like heroes. Well, as I'm talking to you right now, Marvin, I'm looking at a printout of a story uh, from a, a media organization. And as you know how they have ads down the side of these, yep. uh, it says uh, strategictechinvestor.com. Dump cash for Bitcoin. One event is set to trigger the biggest cr uh, cryptocurrency boom yet. So there it is. Even with even with the thing going down through yep. the well, not through the basement, but certainly cutting in half, there's still lots of advertising for people to jump on board and get involved in this. Right, exactly. So one bit of news makes you want to run away. Another bit of news makes you want to jump back in. And that's the problem with Bitcoin. In Canada, what makes the Canadian dollar go up or down are, are policy announcements from the Bank of Canada or government announcements. We have a better sense of what those implications are and what they mean. With Bitcoin, it could just be a rumor. It could be a Facebook thing, whatever. And it could suddenly send the currency soaring or falling. And I, I just I need more stability in my life. Is it the new gold? No, because you know it used to be the old days when the market was going funny. Oh, everybody gets back into gold. Uh, too much risk for that, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, I mean, gold is the new gold. I would stay there. Platinum, if you'd rather buy a different precious metal. But this this is very speculative. Maybe if you were a desperate person in a third world country, you're watching your own currency being highly devalued. You take whatever wealth you have and you throw it into a Bitcoin because at least I can use it elsewhere outside the country. Maybe I can see that. Otherwise, I think for most people... Be buyer beware. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thanks for the time. Much Anytime, appreciated. Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML.